We approach your word tonight with honor, and we thank you, Lord God, for the book of Revelations, so penetrating, so piercing, so accurate, so descriptive of the last days. And we pray that now, Lord, you will open your word to us and let us behold wondrous things out of your law. And Lord, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving us tonight a spirit of revelation and wisdom in the knowledge of you. We breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, speak to me tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, turn to your neighbor and tell them, perk up and listen, it's going to be good tonight. Well, we're coming to the place in the book of Revelation, at least one of the places, that so many of you know about because of Hollywood. And that is 666 and the Antichrist. Now, in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be getting into the Antichrist in much more detail. But tonight, we're going to see some things that are coming upon this nation and this world. Some of them are already upon us. Let's just recap a little bit and see what we looked at last time, and then we'll move right ahead. We've got a lot to cover tonight. Last time we saw what John called the woman. And you remember that if you were here. If you weren't, you can get the CD, you can get the notes, and I would encourage you to do that and bring yourself up to speed because the book of Revelations is, by and large, chronological. It is orderly. One thing leads to the next. Now, the woman that we saw is Israel and the Jewish people. And we were also introduced to the dragon. The dragon is Satan, clearly, all throughout the Word of God. And John described how the dragon persecuted the woman. John described how the dragon was there when the Christ child was born and tried to devour the Christ child, but not successfully. We saw that there was a direct parallel between what John saw, the dragon, standing there waiting for the woman to give birth, Israel giving birth to Messiah, so that the dragon could devour the child. And we saw the parallel in the physical world when Herod released his edict that every male child two years old and under would be killed. That was a man being moved on by the dragon, Satan, to bring about a diabolical plot, but it failed. And so we also saw that in the book of Revelation, the dragon, Satan, persecuting the woman, Israel, she did succeed in bringing forth a wonder child, Jesus himself, and chapter 12 concluded with Satan being cast from heaven and coming to earth in great anger. He was cast from any access to heaven, any more access, hurled down to the earth three and a half years through the great tribulation period in great fury, great wrath, and we saw that that wrath and that anger manifest in his moving upon the Antichrist and demonizing him, possessing him, like no one has ever been possessed in the history of the world, empowering him with demonic anointing, demonic power, demonic anointing in oratory, demonic anointing in political stratagems. God is looking for vessels and the enemy looks for vessels. 
Now in his anger, he empowers his Antichrist to do signs and wonders and to seize control of the world. This is literal. This is not figurative. A persecution madness erupts in the final three and a half years of the tribulation where many of God's saints are martyred. Then finally we saw the rise of Antichrist and several of his personal characteristics. Let's recap that real quickly. Here's a description of the characteristics of Antichrist. Now the beast, who is the Antichrist, which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear. His mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. Now a leopard moves quickly and a leopard is stealth-like. That's one characteristic of the Antichrist's kingdom and of the man. He will move quickly and he will move stealth-like. Then he said he's like a bear, strong, powerful, overbearing, dominating. He's like a lion. A lion roars. He's kingly. He carries himself regally. The Antichrist will be known for the roar of his oratory, the roar of his eloquence. John says Antichrist's kingdom will be strong and powerful, take over quickly, seemingly overnight, and that he will be stately, ruling by the roar of powerful oratory. That's how the Antichrist comes on the scene. We're going to see that in the next couple of weeks. I'm going to show you in much greater detail what Daniel the prophet had to say about the Antichrist and how he rises up out of the sea of humanity and seizes control, first of the Western world and then of the world. We also saw that halfway through the tribulation, he will commit what's called the abomination of desolation that we discussed in earlier chapters, if you were here. He will walk into the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem and into the Holy of Holies where the Shekinah glory of God has resided and he will declare himself to be God. When he does that, that is the abomination of desolation. And it is very likely that at this time, according to the word of God, some kind of an assassination attempt is made on him. Revelation 13.3 says, I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed. The whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. It's almost like the devil's form of resurrection from the dead for his guy. The Bible says one of the heads seemed wounded beyond recovery. The result of this seeming resurrection is universal adulation. Well, he's got to be our guy. He's got to be supernatural. He's got to be God's man because he rose from the dead. That's what they'll be saying. Revelation 13.4 says they absolutely actually worshipped the dragon who is the devil which gave power to the beast and they worshipped the Antichrist himself. So you've got rampant satanic worship and universal worship of a man who is consummately through and through evil. And they'll be saying who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? He's invincible. He's our guy. We're safe. We're secure. Who can overthrow him? No one will ever defeat us again because he's with us. Antichrist is now at the height of his diabolical career, three and a half years in. 
He uses his popularity for pure evil. John says, There was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given to him to continue for three and a half years or 42 months. And it says, He opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given to him to make war with the saints and to defeat them, to overcome them, to murder them. And power was given him over all kindreds, all tongues, all nations, all ethnicities. He takes over the world for a brief season, a horrible season, a black and dark season. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If you don't worship God, you're going to worship something because you were wired to worship. And if you don't worship the true and the living God, you're going to wind up worshiping an idol. And this guy, this Antichrist, will be the ultimate idol. Now tonight we're going to go into a second beast. First beast is Antichrist. But John now introduces us to a second beast. Let's look at it in Revelation 13, 11. John says, Then I saw another beast come up out of the earth. He had two horns like those of a lamb. Now, this is very important. Y'all catch this. Powerful stuff here. He had two horns like those of a lamb. But he spoke with the voice of a dragon. Well, what in the world does that mean? Well, this beast has horns like a lamb. That means he appears on the outside gentle and innocent, and I'm going to say it, religious. But he speaks under Satan's power with the voice of a dragon. He will look meek and mild-mannered and peaceful and religious and even godly. But when he speaks, he has the anointing of the devil, the anointing of the dragon, because he's speaking with Satan's power. This is Antichrist, John the Baptist. He is obviously a religious leader of some sort, and his job is to point the world to the Antichrist. That's his job. His job is to say, there's your God, there's your leader, it's him, turn to him, worship him, trust him, yield to him. That's the second beast's job. John goes on and describes him in 12 and 13 of chapter 13. He says, he exercised all the authority of the first beast. Notice this, these are two peas in a pod. You've got a political ruler, Antichrist, and a religious ruler, this false prophet, this second beast. One political, the other religious, they are working in tandem working together for this ultimately evil hour, bringing the whole earth into subjection to the power of the evil one. And look what it says this second beast does. He required all the earth and its people to worship the first beast, who is the Antichrist, whose fatal wound had been healed. So he doesn't just want them to trust him politically. Political power is only the beginning for the Antichrist. He ultimately wants to be worshipped as God. Thessalonians prophesies, because people will reject the gospel, it says God will send them a strong delusion that they will believe a lie. 
This is that delusion and this is that lie. His fatal wound, the Antichrist, had seemingly been healed. And so this false prophet, this second beast, says, there he is, worship him, bow down to him. He's literally going to say that in a minute. Look what it says this second beast does, this religious leader. He did astounding miracles, even making fire flash down to earth from the sky while everyone was watching. Gee, who does that sound like? Remember Elijah? When he had all the prophets of Baal around that sacrifice of water and wood, and the prophets of Baal were calling out on their god Baal, cutting themselves with stone, saying, come on, Baal, let the fire fall and consume this offering, and nothing happened. And then Elijah said, Lord God, show yourself to be the Lord God. And fire fell and burned up the wood and licked up the water that was in the trenches, and they all fell down and said, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Look at how the devil is a copycat. Interestingly, for 2,500 years, the Jewish people have longed for the coming of Elijah, primarily because Malachi, the end of the Old Testament, prophesied his return. In Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, Malachi prophesies, Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. Well, I suspect prophet Elijah is one of the two prophesying in Jerusalem who finally get killed and then God raises them from the dead in front of the eyes of the world. That's the fulfillment of verse 5. But the devil, the dragon, will have his counterfeit. And this will be it. This false prophet, this second beast, will be the counterfeit. And he will cause fire to fall down from heaven with people watching. For the last 2,500 years, Jewish families, when observing their annual Passover meal, have left a door or window open for Elijah to enter and join them in their anticipation of Messiah. So the devil knows exactly what he's doing to deceive the Jewish people. This second beast will be the ultimate imposter. John continues in verse 14, And with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the people who belong to this entire world. When you reject God, when you turn from Christ, when you reject the knock of grace on your heart, you are opening yourself up to walking into something that is deceptive, that is counterfeit, that is wrong, that will leave sand sifting through your fingers. And look what happens here when they've rejected Christ and now they're in the great tribulation. All the world is worshiping Antichrist. The false prophet, his John the Baptist, egging it on. He ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. This second beast, this false prophet, will have a statue of the Antichrist built. You remember when Nebuchadnezzar ordered for a likeness of himself to be built in the kingdom of Babylon, and he said, now, when the trumpets blow, I want everybody in the kingdom of Babylon to bow down and worship the image of me. And three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, said, no way. 
I'm not going to bow down. I'm not going to worship you. And they were thrown into the burning, fiery oven for refusing to worship the image of Nebuchadnezzar. There is nothing new under the sun. The day will come when Antichrist, who I believe, if I were a better, that he's alive somewhere on the earth today, I don't know what age, but definitely I believe alive somewhere, he will have this second beast, this false prophet, build an image of him, and the whole world will be ordered to worship it, as we're about to see. But guess what? A simple statue won't do. The second beast takes it a step further. He was then permitted to give life to this statue so that it could speak, he says in Revelation 13, verse 15. So here you're going to have an image, a statue-like, an image that speaks, that moves, that is animated. Then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. Now you've got a statue that is animated, that is talking, that is commanding the world to worship the image or they will die. Nothing new under the sun. Same order of death for anybody not committing idolatry just as in Nebuchadnezzar's day. Same thing. Well, how in the world could this be? Well, we wondered for a long... Well, I didn't, but preachers and teachers of prophecy centuries before us wondered how in the world could this be. But now in the day of animation, in the day of technology... We don't wonder anymore at all. We know this can happen. For centuries, Bible students were perplexed, but not any longer. Statues can easily be made to talk, move, gesture, and so on. That is an animation. Let's watch it again. If you've ever been in Disney World, you saw Snow White do this. You saw Cinderella do this. This is not a man, this is a statue moving, a statue talking, an animation talking, but it's not real. Could it be that this is what John saw, that this is what he was predicting? Something like this? We know that it can happen. And you could have an image of an antichrist, the antichrist, just like that, bow down, worship my image, or die. Two-way television systems are now in place where the entire world could see a lifelike image on their own computer screens and be commanded to worship it. And because now there is two-way, you can see into a screen and they can see you through the screen. Not only would you see him, the image of the Antichrist, but even George Orwell in his book 1984 envisioned a system whereby Big Brother could also see you. And if you've read that book, the main character in the book was always having to walk around in his little apartment and dodge the screen so that he could not be seen by the watchers, by Big Brother watching through the screen. And every movie made, or if he wrote in his diary, he had to do it where they could not see him because you weren't supposed to write in a diary. You weren't supposed to do anything like that because all your liberty had been stripped away. Now, think about this. John, in first century, no technology, no television, no radio, no nothing, no media, sitting on the Isle of Patmos with hardly any trees, any grass, as a slave laborer, 
has a vision. He is carried down the tunnel of time and he sees the whole world being watched by an image and spoken to by an image and commanded by an image. How do you do that? Because our God knows the end from the beginning. Before a thing begins, God's already at the end of it. Before the beginning begins, God is at the end. That's why he never says, oops, and he never says, well, I'll be. <laughs> now look at this. The second beast will likely place this animated statue of the Antichrist in the Holy of Holies, commanding the world to worship him or suffer the death penalty. That's where the abomination of desolation takes place. So obviously something is carried into the Holy of Holies that is a desecration of what is holy. Apparently, at least I think it's feasible that an animation of some kind like what we just saw is placed in there, and from there, the world ordered to worship it or suffer the death penalty, and somehow they know whether or not you did worship it. At this point, the screw is really being tightened. The world is now brought under total demonic domination, worship Antichrist or die. If you think this can't happen, really? Do you really wonder that now? It's so feasible now. It's so seeable now. So foreseeable now. It's not hard to imagine this any longer. All this harkens back to Nebuchadnezzar as I just shared with you. There is the statue, at least an idea of what he had made of himself right here. And they were commanded to bow down and worship it. And the three Hebrew children we talked about. But then it gets even worse. Revelation 13, 16 to 17 says, He, the second beast, required everybody, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, every human being on earth, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. Now notice, nobody could buy or sell anything without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Now John doesn't leave us wondering what that means. He's going to tell us what that means. He's telling us, first of all, before I turn it, he's saying the day will come when every human being on earth is marked or branded with the mark of the beast. He says the mark of the beast is likely a laser imprint on the hand or forehead, visible only to a scanner. This technology is in place right now. It only awaits the right timing. We all know the technology is here. We all know that it's already here. John, how did John know such a thing would ever come upon the earth when there was no technology? little article that I pulled out of a magazine fingers likely to replace ID cards in the United States. Here's an example. Beginning in March, students of the University of California in Irvine were no longer required to show their ID cards to gain access to the Anteater Recreation Center. Instead, they only had to place their hands in a scanner and type in their personal ID number. That's all they had to do. And the machine, the scanner, read their hand. Campus officials said the hand geometry system has been available for less than two months and almost 9,000 students have signed up to use it. With it, 
People no longer have to worry whether they have carried their ID or not. Oh, darn, I left my ID at home. It doesn't matter. Just put your hand in there. It knows you. Their fingers are their IDs. The hand scanner does not take fingerprints of handprints. No. It records a series of specific measurements and analyzes more than 31,000 points and 90 measurements on your hand. 31,000 points in a microsecond. It scans it, your hand, including length, width, thickness, and surface area, and compares the data with that on file for a member's personal ID number or PIN. It is also called the hand geometry system. If you put your hand in one and typed in the wrong ID number, it could still accurately read your hand. Although the university currently does not have any public plans to use the scanner at other major venues, it is possible that such scanners are going to wider use if they continue to prove to be fast and efficient. Well, they will. The California State University of Southern California started to use this system at its fitness center a year ago. Right now, only a few special facilities or places have used the hand geometry system, but possibly people will soon find they don't have to take their ID cards with them when they go to the airport, check in at hotels, or draw money from banks. Just your hand. And one day, it'll be a mark on your hand. Interestingly, Laura, who has been working with me and Jeff Kelly on this series on the graphic pictures and stuff, belongs to a little neighborhood co-op right across the highway that has a pool and they've got that hand system now. She just puts her hand in and gets in. So it's here. But see, it's steadily going towards the time and the moment when a man will say, you will not be able to buy or sell, you will not be able to function in society if you don't take a mark on your hand or on your forehead. This system is going to have a wider application in the military. The Pentagon has developed its own defense biometric ID system, also called DBIDS, which has already been introduced to U.S. Air Force bases around the world. With the DBIDS, gate guards use a handheld wireless scanner, which has an instant always-on connection to a database at the U.S. Department of Defense. Always-on, always-connected to read the barcodes of personnel and instantly tell whether or not they are allowed onto the base by reading their barcode. Hand scanners will also be used in law enforcement agencies recently in Texas. Texas contracted with the L1 Identity Solutions Company to provide full hand biometric scanning technology for use in criminal investigation. In addition to electronic finger and facial images, law enforcement and investigators across the state can capture full handprints sent to the statewide criminal automated fingerprint ID system. So where is all this going, Pastor Jeff? Well, for one thing, can I tell you right here in the middle of this teaching tonight, God has everything under control. God has everything under control. Because he's already told us this is coming 21 centuries ago. So that's why I say he never says, well, I'll be. Hand scanners. Can you imagine? All right. What about a cashless society? The mark of the beast that John foresaw 
will usher in a worldwide cashless society. And that's not to say there will be no cash transactions at all, but the vast majority of transactions will be cashless in nature. They already are. They'll be computer generated. You will simply go to the supermarket, gather your groceries, and at the checkout counter, a scanner will be swept across your hand or across your forehead. And what will happen then is the money will then be withdrawn from your bank account. You will receive a receipt showing how much was removed and what you have left. The receipt will roll out where they always do, and you don't even have a card. You just move your hand or stood in front of some kind of a scanner where it hits your forehead. And it withdraws the money and then spits out the receipt and tells you that the money was withdrawn and how much is left. Without this mark, you will not be able to buy or sell. No doubt such a system will be made viable as a way to do away with credit card and ID theft. There's always a way for politicians to get what they want. Well, we're doing this to protect you. Maybe Antichrist will say, we're doing this to stop this insidious ID theft. Who knows what he'll say? If you'll just go get this little mark on your hand and on your forehead, either or, then nobody can steal that because it's on you. John said the mark was a number. Look what he said in Revelations 13, verse 18. Wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. What does that mean? Well, for centuries, nobody could understand what this could have meant until computers came along. Now we know the entire world could easily be marked by three sets of six digits each, 6, 12, 18. Much like a whole city of millions can all receive a phone number out of only 10 digits, one through zero. So it's easy. It's easy. Using the amplified meaning of the original Greek text, how many of you have an amplified Bible? Well, then you know that what it does, it takes words and gives you several different derivatives of a word. It amplifies the meaning of a passage or a verse. What this particular person did, and I think it's very viable, and that's why I put it up here, Michael O'Brien of highpraise.com created an expanded translation of Revelations 13 that I'm going to read to you in just a moment. And what he did, he just gave us an amplified Greek exegesis or breakdown of this verse. And it indicates a biochip implant or an etching in your skin containing a number like the social security number that could fulfill the prophecy very precisely. Okay? So here it is, 16 through 18 of Revelations 13. Here is the amplified version from the Greek language. He, the second beast, caused everybody, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive an etching of servitude made with a sharp point because the word mark of the beast mark is from the same Greek word that was used when somebody was marked for slavery in the first century so the etching of servitude made with a sharp point so that sounds like a tattoo in their right hand or in their foreheads now, they're not going to be walking around with something you can see on their forehead or in their hand. 
he goes on in verse 17 and says, so that no one could buy or sell unless they had the etching of servitude or the authority of the beast or the number of his authority. Now follow along. Verse 18, here is wisdom. Let him that has understanding count the pebbles. That's a little Greek phraseology. Count the pebbles as the number of the beast. For it is an individual's ID number. His number is incised with a pricking action, willingly, by one claiming to possess the Godhead. Now before I move on, what this is telling us, it's going to be like a tattoo. But you won't be able to see it. It's like when I used to go to Six Flags as a kid. They put that little stamp on you and you couldn't see it unless it went under the black light. Well, that's just like really archaic now. But it's the idea, it's going to be an etching with a pricking motion under the skin that you can't see with the naked eye. It'll be a mark. But it will be quickly, instantly readable by a scanner. I think that's pretty close to what he's talking about here. John. In the USA, 98 to 99% of all transactions are already cashless. And cash represents about 1% to 4% of bank deposits. Smart cards and biochip pet implants are now in wide use in Europe and America. Many Christians strongly suspect this mark of the beast, prophecy, will be implemented by technology that exists today. The biochip implant, syringe implantable microchip lithium transponder, or an invisible tattoo designed to go on the right hand or the forehead. How many of you, your pets have a chip in them? Go get all your pets chipped. They're not going to come under the mark of the beast. Go get them all chipped. Because, you know, we catch stray dogs all the time and try to find them a home or get them back home. Got one just a while back. Beautiful little dog. And the only hope I had of finding this dog a home was if he had a chip. So took him to the vet. They ran this little scanner. And lo and behold, everything about this dog flashed up on the screen. His address, his name, his owners. Boom. And I thought, Antichrist. <laughs> but there it was. I said, dude, you are marked, man. No. It was kind of strange, and I thought, one day, one day, a chip or a tattoo through the prick of an incision, something on the right hand or forehead. Now, John warns in no uncertain terms, the mark of the beast must not be received. Revelations 14, and what I'm about to read to you is hard for me to read. As a matter of fact, even going over this before I came tonight, it's difficult because it's so sobering. But you know, when you receive Christ, you do it by faith. And how'd you get saved? You believe what the Bible said. Well, here's what it says. Anybody who worships the beast and his statue or who accepts his mark on the forehead or on the hand must drink the wine of God's anger. John goes on, the wrath of God has been poured full strength into God's cup of wrath. And they who receive the mark and worship the image of the beast will be tormented with fire and burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. You say, Pastor Jeff, that's just 
hard for me to understand how a God of love could do that. Well, let me tell you what a God of love could do. It's hard for me to understand as well how a God of love could send His Son to die on the cross, naked, beaten beyond recognition, whipped to a bloody pulp for you and for me when we were spitting in His face. There's some things about God that are radical. And I don't understand. Can't wrap my mind around it. But the same love that did that is holy and says sin must be judged. So I'm reading what's there. Those to whom these warnings are directed are obviously the tribulation saints. If you get saved during the tribulation, don't receive that mark. They must refuse the mark and trust God to provide for their needs. If Jehovah Jireh was ever needed, it's going to be in the great tribulation when these people can't even buy or sell unless they got the mark, and they're not going to take the mark. There's going to be a bunch of them who don't take it because I read about it in Revelations today. We're going to see those folks in a couple of weeks. Chapter 14 begins with John again taken into heaven. Then I saw the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Now this chapter introduces us once again to the 144,000 we first met in chapter 7, and they have the name of their father on their foreheads. Notice, Satan wants to mark the forehead. Now let me tell you the significance of that, and I'm going to close tonight. The mark on the forehead, the ancients considered the forehead the frontal lobe of the brain. It had to do with the thoughts. So I think there's a picture here. It's not just receiving a mark physically on your forehead. That's literal and that's true. But it's also talking about the frontal lobe, the brain, the thought life. The forehead matters to God because it's a symbol of what you're thinking on, what your mind is given over to. And so notice that while the enemy tries to mark you on the forehead, both literally and figuratively in your thinking, look where God marks these 144,000 on their foreheads. This is the seal mentioned in Revelation 7 and verse 3. Now they are seen in heaven, for they likely die a martyr's death when Satan the dragon makes war with the remnant. Revelations 14.2 says, let's stand together and we're going to read this. Revelations 14.2 says, I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of mighty ocean waves or the rolling of loud thunder. It was like the sound of many harpists playing together. Say with me, that's a worship session. These majestic sounds and Revelations 14 are none other than the greatest choir ever assembled. It's the song of those who have been redeemed from the great tribulation. They are the fruit of the preaching of the 144,000. Now let me close with verse 3. John says, this great choir sang a wonderful new song. Boy, wouldn't you love to know that tune? You think that'll be a top 40 hit? Of all time, they sang a new song in front of the throne of God and before the four living beings and the 24 elders. This is happening in heaven while this terrible mark of the beast is happening on earth. You know who's here? 
you. Now, I'm going to say that again because you're acting like I just told you it was 810. <laughs> this is you because you've been raptured. And you're up there worshiping God, enjoying the marriage supper of the Lamb, while on earth this terrible mark and damnation is taking place in earth's darkest hour. So while there is darkness on earth, there is glory and a worship session in heaven. It goes on and says... The new song is being sung in front of the throne of God and before the four living beings and the 24 elders. No one could learn this song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. So they're the ones that get the song first. Glory to God. All right. Let me slip through this real quickly. We're about done. Look what it says about them in Revelations 14, 4 and 5. They have kept themselves, these 144,000, as pure as virgins, following the Lamb wherever He goes. They have been purchased from among the people on the earth as a special offering to God and to the Lamb. They have told no lies. They are without blame. This does not mean they have never married, but they are pure and holy through Christ and in spiritual character, undefiled by immorality. And now next time we're going to pick up with six angels and the vision that they have. And it's going to get really radical because we're just about to come up on the war of Armageddon. How many of you are glad you got the other mark? Amen. Amen. Can you say with me, I've got the mark of the Lamb of God, the seal of the Holy Spirit. I am redeemed. Give the Lord a hand of praise, can you? Thank you, Lord.